Well, this is the last week of our Marriage 2.0 series. I hope that this series has been helpful for you. Uh, months ago, as I began to put this series together, I began to ask myself, how do I want to wrap up the series? What do I want to end with? In other words, if this is the last time I ever get to speak to you on the topic of marriage, what is it that I want you to hear? So this is, this is the best I got. Okay, this is the best I've got on marriage. However, I will tell you, this is probably the most simple message I have ever preached in my life. But yet, you're going to walk out of here saying, wow, that was profound. And it's almost incredibly difficult, impossible sometimes, without Jesus Christ working in our lives to pull off. But that's what we're going to talk about. By the way, this is just about marriage. This is about life. We could easily have called this marriage the keys to success. Because if you implement in your life what we're going to be talking about in the next few minutes, it will change every area of your life. That's what we're going to be doing. Now, I want to begin by asking you some questions. And I don't want you to try to figure out the answer I'm looking for. I just want you to respond with the first thing that comes to your mind. Let me set up the question. Let's say there's a restructuring at your work. And you get an email or a notice that your job's going to be phased out. The good news is that there are two other positions that are going to be offered to you. One position is a promotion. The other is a demotion. Which one are you going to take? Just say it out loud. Go ahead and say it. Which one are you going to take? You're going to take the promotion, right? It's because from the time we are born, it is ingrained in us that, that the American dream is up and to the right. That is how you find success. You've got to climb the ladder. So when someone comes to you and says, I have a job for you, do you want to take the one that's a promotion or a demotion? Unless you're lying, you say, well, yeah, I, I, I want the one that's the promotion. Now, second, you get the promotion. Along with this promotion, you get a new office. Okay, two offices are available to you. Same floor, same view, same decor. One office is larger than the other. Which one are you going to choose? Everybody together? Larger. Why? Yeah, it's, it's up and to the right. It's just the American way. That's what we do, right? Third, because of your new managerial position, you have the option. You can either continue to fly coach and save the company money, or you can fly business class. Now, you have a flight Monday morning from RDU to LAX. Which one are you going to fly? Go ahead, everybody all together, unless you're lying or an idiot. Okay, yeah, you're, you're going to go business class, right? I'm right there with you, okay? Because it's up and to the right. That's the right thing to do. Okay, you also get the opportunity now with your new position to eat in the executive dining room. I mean, white tablecloths, guys in white jackets waiting on you, gluten-free menus, right? Somebody in the corner playing a piano. I mean, you would think you were at SAS, right? So you can either eat there, all right? Or you can eat in the basement cafeteria with the other peons. Which one are you going to go for? Executive, dining room, up and to the right. Last, the last thing is you get a key to the executive washroom. Always clean, never runs out of toilet paper. You wash your hands, there's someone magically appearing with a towel for you to dry your hands. Maybe a mint, a little spurt of perfume or cologne before you go back to your office. Or you can go down to the first floor and use the bathroom that the common people use and they probably don't wash their hands. Okay, which, which, which one are you going to take? Yeah, you're going you're gonna to go, go with the executive washroom. It's up and to the right. Now here's the thing. Here's the thing. I could go on and on and on. But you look at this pattern. This is what we call the American dream. And we may not say it out loud, but deep down inside, we really do believe that if we can climb this ladder, if we can continue to move up and to the right, there are going to be some great rewards at the top. For example, we think there's joy at the top. There's happiness at the top. There's satisfaction at the top. There's less stress at the top. There's more peace at the top of the ladder. And as I said, this is something that is deeply ingrained in us from the time we are small children. So much so that if instead of doing this, things begin to go south, we get angry. We get hurt. We get depressed. 
We yell at God. We wonder why he hates us. I mean, there's no way that there can really be joy down and to the right. It's got to be up and to the right. In fact, in the mind of the average American, if this were to happen, if this were to happen, worst possible scenario. This weekend, I want us to step back and ask the question, is that really true? Is life really all about going up and to the right? Because I'm going to be honest with you, the Bible in many places warns about the dangers of an up and to the right life. And the Bible clearly teaches, and just read it yourself, that prosperity destroys a lot more people than adversity does. And the Bible clearly teaches that every time you go up and to the right, you are in increasingly dangerous territory. For example, there's odds if you go here, it is going to negatively affect your relationship with God. More often than not, it's going to negatively affect your personal relationships, relationships like marriage. Now why is that? Why does that happen? It's because as you go up and to the right, this is what happens. You get addicted to power up here. When you go up here, you get addicted to achievement. And before you know it, you look around and you wonder why everybody isn't as smart as you are. And pretty soon when you get up here, you don't need God. You don't need the woman who helped you get to the top. But I've got to warn you. According to the Bible, this does not always take you where you want to go. According to the Bible, it doesn't necessarily lead to joy. In fact, you know what it often leads to? It leads to someone who has an arrogant and ungrateful spirit. And that's why the Bible teaches, hey, it's not the end of the world if your life goes down and to the right. Because, see, sometimes as your chart goes down, have you discovered as you're going down, your openness to God goes up? And sometimes as your chart goes down, your reliance on other people goes up. And sometimes as your chart goes down, your willingness to engage, engage more fully in relationship goes up. And I'll just be honest with you. If you really care about qualities like humility, vulnerability, gentleness, it is much more likely to happen down here than it is to happen up here. Now, in contrast, if you have your Bible, let me show you something different. Take your Bible. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. I want to show you a different chart. I want to show you the path that Jesus took to success. And I think how you'll see how appropriate it is that we're talking about this on Palm Sunday weekend when Jesus is just five days away from the cross. But what you're going to see also is that this ties directly into our marriages. Let me read some verses for you. Philippians chapter 2 beginning in verse 5. And then I'm going to go back up to verse 1 and give you some context. But Paul says this in Philippians chapter 2 verse 5. And many of you have heard these verses before. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Now, if you've never read these verses before, it's an interesting passage because this passage is giving us insight into the time that Jesus made the decision to leave heaven and come to earth. And I don't care how nice your house is on earth. I don't care if you get to live in Hawaii or you get to live in Fuquay, Verena. I think we would all agree that if you're going to leave heaven, pearly gates, streets of gold, angels singing all the time, if you're going to leave heaven and come to earth, it's probably a step down, right? We don't know how big of a step down because we've never been to heaven. We don't know what to compare it to, but we would agree it is definitely a step down. So instead of Jesus starting here where we start, Jesus actually will draw a throne. Jesus actually started on the throne and he came to earth. But it doesn't stop there. Verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man. In other words, Jesus took on flesh 
and he became a man. This is what's known in theological circles as the incarnation. God with flesh. God who is omnipresent. God whose spirit is everywhere. God decided to confine himself in the person of Jesus Christ to a human body. Well, I think we would have to agree that's, that's definitely a step down. But not only does Jesus become a man, look at verse 7. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Well, whoa, being a servant? We would definitely say that's a step down. Now, if we're spiritual, we wouldn't say that. Oh, we want to be servants. But I'm telling you what, if you're driving home from somewhere with your child and you ask them what they want to be when they grow up and they say, Daddy, I want to be a servant, there's going to be a cold chill go up and down your spine. You're going to get them in therapy immediately. <laughs> right? So it sounds good in theory, but day-to-day practice, nobody wants to be a servant. Let's be honest. It's a step down. Now notice verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And let's be honest. That's a huge step down. But I want you to look at that. Because that's the path that Jesus took. And I wanted us to go through this exercise because this is what I'm going to talk about. The key to every successful marriage follows this path. The key to a successful Christian life follows this path. In fact, let me put it in perspective. Let's go back to, up to verse 1 of Philippians chapter 2. And if you've read this before, you know that Paul begins this chapter. He's kind of sarcastic. It's got like he's got a chip on his shoulder or something. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. In other words, if there's anything encouraging about being in a relationship with Christ. And we would say, are you kidding me, Paul? Of course there's encouragement from being in a relationship with Christ. He goes on to say, if any comfort from his love. Of course there's comfort in our life that comes from the love of Jesus Christ. Then he says, if any common sharing in the spirit, any tenderness, any compassion, if there's any of this going on in your life, look what he says, then make my joy complete. Paul is saying, make my day. If this is going on, make me happy by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Now notice this, this is, this is the kicker. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you looking to the interests of others. Here's the problem. We hear that and think, yeah, right. Mike, nobody is ever going to really live that way, putting the interests of other people above their own interests. I hope you got something else, right? But you got to understand that as Christians, this is exactly where God wants to take us. This is the path he wants to take us on. This is the journey that he's designed for us. But I will be honest with you, the key to living out this principle of putting the interest of others above your own interests is found in the verses that we looked at earlier, beginning in verse 5. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Look at verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. This is what Paul is saying. He's saying the key to your success as a Christian is to begin to think like Jesus thinks. The key to your success as a spouse in a marriage relationship is to begin to think like Jesus thinks. That's what it means to have the same mindset. Sometimes it's translated, have the same attitude. But let me just take it a step further. It's to think like Jesus thought when he was on the earth. You see, when Jesus was on the earth, he thought a certain way. And Paul is basically saying this. If you're going to be successful in life, if you're going to be successful in marriage, you're going to have to figure out how to think like Jesus 
thought. Now he tells us in the next few verses what that looks like. Four things. First of all, just like Jesus, we have to stop worrying about our rights. If our marriages are succeeding, it's because we've gotten to a point where we've gotten rid of our rights. We've set them aside. That's not what we worry about day in and day out. Look at verse 5. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Notice that phrase, used to his own advantage. The Greek phrase here means to take something that doesn't belong to you. And so what Paul is saying is this, Jesus wasn't taking something that didn't belong to him when it came to equality with God. And it's because he was actually equal with God. I mean, it was his right. But instead of hanging on to that right, this is my right. Notice what he did. He chose to set it aside, verse 7. Rather, he made himself nothing. In other words, even though he was equal with God, that was his right, that was his position. He said, I'll let that go. I'll give that up. And he set aside his rights. Here's the principle. If you're going to succeed in marriage, you're going to have to give up your rights. In other words, it has to become more important to you to be right with someone than it is to be right. Here's another way you could say it. In your marriage, would you rather be one or would you rather be the one who won? Do you want to be one, or do you want to be the one who always wins, the one who always gets their way, the one who always protects their rights? See, here's the thing. You may win the argument. You may get your way. You may prove your point. But where are you going to be sleeping tonight? Paul tells us Jesus set aside his rights. By the way, as I said, this really, this isn't a marriage principle. This is a Christian principle. It doesn't matter whether you're married or single. When we become Christians, we give up our rights. We set them aside and we now submit to the lordship and the authority of Jesus Christ in our lives. It's no longer about us. It's about his will being lived through us, not our own. Often when I'm counseling with married couples, I mean, some of you are just a mess, you know. And uh, there was, I was, I'll never forget, I was with a couple one time. And uh, it was a Wednesday night, and I was meeting with them in my office, and this was in another building, and, and it was middle school night, and middle schoolers are walking up and down the hallway, and this couple, like every third word is the F-bomb. And I'm like putting blankets up against the bottom of my door so that, you know, I mean, I'm just watching them, and I'm just, how, how can you even call yourself? And finally, you know, you say something like, hey, forget the fact that you're a horrible spouse. Let's just agree on that, okay? Forget that. You're an incredibly lousy Christian. Forget working on your marriage. You just need to walk out of here. And each of you as individuals, you just need to work on your relationship with Jesus Christ. But for that to happen, for real change to take place, you got to get over it. But this is my right. See? Second, just like Jesus, we have to become a servant. This is an incredibly inspiring message, right? Look at verse 7. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Maybe in your Bible it reads bond servant or bond slave. That's actually a very accurate translation. Let me tell you what a bond servant is. You notice in Paul's writings, he often begins his Paul, a bond servant of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? A bond servant was a servant, a slave, who worked for the master and over a period of time actually earned their freedom. But even after they earned their freedom, they made the choice to remain a slave. 
They made a choice to remain, remain in the relationship as a slave with the master. And at that time, the master would take a sharp tool, a metal tool, and drive a hole through the slave's ear. And it told everyone, you know what? I'm a slave, but I'm a slave for my master because I chose to be a slave. That's pretty impressive. You know, it tells us in verse 7 that Jesus set aside the form of God. And he made the decision to be a servant, to be a slave. And in the same way, I'm telling you, if we are going to experience marital success, we have to get to the point where we make the choice to be a slave. You have any idea how many relational problems would be resolved instantly if when we got married, we saw ourselves as first servants to God, and then we begin to see ourselves as servants to each other. Do you know how many marriages this would heal instantly? If it were two slaves that were married, two people together in a marriage, each looking out, not for their own personal interest, but looking out for the interest of the other person. I mean, maybe, seriously, maybe we should include this in the marriage vows. I vow to be your slave for the rest of my life. You think I'll get that through? I don't know. I don't know. Here's the problem. That's not the American dream, right? Who likes the idea of being a slave? A servant. We, we want to be kings, right? We want to be Queens, we want to be served. Years ago, I was talking to a lady in the atrium, and I'd done some marriage counseling with her and her husband, and it wasn't going the way she was hoping, and she was venting. And finally, I just kind of said, here's like some things you need to do. Forget what he does. These are things you need to do. And it's one of those relationships where nobody wanted to blink, right? It's like, well, he did it, so I got to get the upper hand. Well, then I got to retaliate. And it was one of those. Nobody would ever back off. Nobody would ever blink. And I said, this is what you need to do. And I laid out some things, and she looked at me, and she says, Mike, if I did that, I would be his slave. Well, you know me. What do you think my response was? I was like, yeah. <clears throat> and it might save your marriage. But she didn't. And it didn't. Verse 7 says that Jesus took on the very nature of a servant. Let me ask you a question. What nature, what form have you taken on in your marriage? Have you taken on the nature of a servant or have you taken on the nature of a dictator? I don't pay much attention to politics anymore. I've just gotten so frustrated because it's just gotten to the point where it's pretty obvious. Everybody gets elected and then they make decisions to stay elected, right? They want to make sure their, their constituency continues to vote for them. So it doesn't really matter what's in the best interest of the people or the country. It's what do I need to do to make sure I get elected because this is a pretty sweet ride. That's why we need term limits. That's another message. But anyway, anyway, I get so frustrated because there's this gridlock and nothing ever gets done. So I was telling Laura one time, I said, you know, honestly, what I think we need to do, we need to just scrap this whole political system in America and we need to go back to a monarchy. We just need a good king to make decisions and run this country. And then I said, I think it should be me. <laughs> right? Everybody all just do what I say when I say it, right? I mean, seriously, don't we all feel that way? It would be a better place if I ran it, right? The problem is this. That's not what Jesus did. That wasn't the way he thought. That wasn't his mindset. He was actually a king who became a servant. And I'm going to tell you, if you were to go home and become a servant in your marriage, it would go a long way in healing your relationship. 
What if you got up every day as a spouse and this was your first thought? How can I serve her today? How can I serve him today? Got to be a servant. Third, Jesus, like Jesus, we have to take the low road. Now, I know people say, because when I was going over this with Laura, she said, honey, it's not the low road, it's the high road. I said, no, it's the low road. And I had to show her this too. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Literally in the Greek means he lowered himself. He took the low road. And just so you know, so you don't panic, there's only really two times in life where you need to take the low road. When you're wrong, you take the low road. And when you're right, you take the low road. Those are the only two times. I'll give you an example. Last Halloween, I had gone out to dinner with another couple from the church, and Laura and I were coming home, and it was about 7.30, and of course, the trick-or-treaters are everywhere, and I knew there would be five million in my neighborhood, and I, in fact, my grandkids were somewhere in the neighborhood, and so, of course, I'm driving careful, and Laura's making sure I'm careful, and I know there are kids everywhere, and I'm literally driving like 15 miles an hour, but from the time I pulled off of Highway 64 until I made it to my street, which is about a quarter of a mile, there were probably 10 to 12 moms who felt the need to get out in the middle of the street and do this, so I would slow down. And I told Laura, if I go any slower, I'll be in reverse. So I just, you know, and she said, well, just be slow. What got my goat, I was okay, I was keeping my mouth shut. Till I got to my neighborhood and I had to turn into my driveway. And I literally was at a stop waiting for the garage door to go up. And a mom walked out in front of my car in the headlights and went. I struggle with you helicopter parents, by the way. Let your kids get on the bus by themselves. That has nothing to do with this message. Though. Anyway, anyway. So she did this. So I lowered my window. And I said, is it okay if I pick up enough speed to get in my driveway? Rolled the window back up. Didn't think anything else about it. Literally months later, a few months later, this is probably in February, I was having breakfast with someone, and we finished breakfast, and as we were leaving, he says, hey, Mike, one last piece of encouragement. Work on your relationship with your neighbors. And I said, what are you talking about? It was his best friend that I said, can I pull into my driveway? So she went and told him, and they're like, What's wrong with Mike? Are him and Laura having problems? They seem so stressed out. Da 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 da. You know. <laughs> so that night when I came home from work, I drove straight to their house. I went up. I knocked on the door. I said, regardless of why I did it, it's not how Jesus would have handled it. I am sorry. Please forgive me. Of course, they gave me a big hug, and I said, you know what? You're the only ambassadors who can go to everybody else and say that I'm sorry because I don't know who was out there. It was dark. And they said, we got your back. See, that's, when you, when, you, when you screw up, you take the low road. But when you're right, you also take the low road. I'm going to be honest with you. I cannot tell you how many relationships I still have that I'm still involved in because I took the low road. Because I said I was sorry, and I'll be honest with you, God is my witness. I hadn't done anything wrong. And there are times I'm saying, what I'm thinking is, they're letting me have it. God, you know I didn't do anything wrong. And he's like, I know, but tell me sorry anyway. See, and so we just kind of go through that thing. Even when you're right, sometimes, you take, maybe it's possible that the key to marriage is being sorry. Some of you qualify better than others. But what I mean is <laughs> saying you're sorry. Just take the low road. 
Just take the low road. When I was in Northern California, I had a very contentious congregation. And uh, one of the elder's wife made me a t-shirt. By the way, you love my t-shirt, don't you? I still love Christian Leitner. Yeah. yeah. Hey, I'm living out our mission statement. Love people where they are and encourage them to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. And I want Christian Leitner to know there's a congregation that would love to have him on Easter. So anyway, uh, uh, this is my support. But anyway, March Madness. She came in for my birthday and she gave me this, a t-shirt. And this is what it said. I'm sorry, please forgive me. And then on the back it said, get a life. <laughs> That's a good elder's wife right there. But anyway, that was wrong. That's not taking the low road. That's just being aggressive, right? But there's just sometimes when someone's letting you have it, and for the sake of the relationship, you know what? You're like, you know what? I'm sorry. Can we move forward? Take the low road. I'm telling you, this one principle could salvage more marriages and relationships than any principle I know. But you know what? I know some Christians, they would rather die than do that. Because they got to be right. I, you've got to hear my point, you know. We've got to talk it out. Well, I've already forgiven you. But no, we've got to talk it out. You've got to hear my side. Okay. Okay. I'll tell you this. Whenever you take the low road, God will bless you. It is one of the key secrets to relational success. And just so you know, I learned this from Laura. She has always, always, and I, and I thanked her for this as I was writing this message. I said, thank you for how gracious you've been for me. Because she always takes the low road. Because I've made some bonehead decisions. And I'm not sure in 36 years of marriage she's ever brought them up. She doesn't say, I told you so. She just quietly takes the low road. Take it for what it's worth. Fourth, just like Jesus, we have to die. It just keeps getting better, doesn't it? Verse, verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. By the way, did you know that Jesus lived his entire life with an attitude of death? Every day he got up, he knew he was one step closer to the ultimate destination, why he came. He was one step closer to the cross. His cross, the cross never left his mind. Every day he had, he had to get up. He had to set aside. He had to die to his needs. He had to die to his desires. This is the problem with most of us. We think, man, if I live that way, you live that way, you'll be taken advantage of. You'll be a doormat. People will walk all over you. Jesus lived with that every day. And by living that way, he became the most successful person that ever lived. I mean, he accomplished more in three years than all of us will accomplish, put together all of our lives, right? And I know what some of you are thinking, because you're arrogant. You're thinking, huh, I'm not a servant. I haven't died to my desires, my needs. I've done it my way. And because I've done it my way, I have become incredibly successful. I got news for you. Making a lot of money is not success. Having a big fancy title is not success. Having a huge office on a penthouse uh, floor is not success. From God's perspective, success is becoming like Jesus. But for that, that to happen, you got to pick up your cross. You got to die. Paul said, I die daily. Is it possible that God, instead of creating marriage to make you happy, created marriage to kill you? <laughs> Some of you are thinking, well, that was his plan. It is working. I mean, we are, we are right on schedule, right? Here's another question, just kind of thinking out loud. 
What if God knows that the only way you can actually be happy in marriage is if you die to yourself? Can you imagine the Trinity in heaven having that conversation? Can you imagine the Father going, hmm, hmm. What could we do to get people to die to themselves? And maybe Jesus spoke up and said, hey, we could have them live with somebody of the opposite sex. You know? By the way, you know what's the hardest thing about someone of the opposite sex? They're opposite. That's why I say opposites attract, right? And then they attack. That's what happens after you get married, right? So Jesus is like, hey, maybe we should have them live with somebody of the opposite sex. And I could just see the Holy Spirit. Yeah, and if that doesn't kill them, we'll give them children, right? So we'll just, you know. <laughs> I actually believe that Jesus did give us marriage so we would be happy. But I'll tell you this, you'll never be happy in your marriage till you die for your, to yourself. In fact, I'll give you this promise. Marriage works 100% of the time, guaranteed, when both spouses die to themselves. Now, you're probably sitting here, maybe in a bad marriage, thinking, Mike, are you telling me that if I do these four things, it'll heal my marriage? That's not what I'm saying, I'll tell you why. You know and I know it takes two people, two healthy people, to have a good, healthy marriage. So living this way, it may not heal your marriage, but I'll tell you what it will do. It will heal you. It will heal you. I was having dinner Friday night, and the guy I was with, he gave me this quote. He says, every relationship is controlled by the one who cares about it the least. Isn't that true? Because you don't have as much at stake. You know, last week I talked about couples aren't to withhold each other, hold themselves from each other sexually, you know, because God says it's just not a good idea. It's actually a sin. But you know why somebody's willing to do that? They don't care. If you don't jump through the six hoop, do the ten things, doesn't matter. I won't ever have sex with you. I'll walk away from the relationship. Doesn't really matter to me. At the end of the day, that's who controls the relationship. The one who cares about it the least. So I've seen people over the years, they've been married to some of the biggest jerks in the world. And I've watched those people do all the right thing the right way. And unfortunately, they still lost their marriage. But you know what? They didn't lose their life. And God blessed that person. And God protected the children. And it was because that one parent did the right thing and they lived the right way. This is my point. Even when your spouse will not respond the way God wants them to, God will reward you for doing the right thing. I'll show you why I say that. Verse 9, therefore God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. And I'm just telling you in the same way, if, if you will put yourself down, if you will take the low road, if you will become a servant, if you will die to your needs and desires, this is what will happen. God will lift you up. I'm telling you, I've seen it many times. He'll lift up your life. He'll lift up your peace. He'll lift up your joy. He'll take care of your anger. God will lift you up when you're humble. And you humble yourself and do the right thing. Whether you're married, single, divorced, whether you're widowed, young, old, no matter who you are, no matter what stage of life you're in, this is the key to success, whether it comes to life or marriage. You've got to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. You've got to begin to think the way he thought when he was on this earth. And if you do that, he'll lift you up. And you'll be happy. Whether you're married or single, you'll be happy. I promise you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word.
And I've said everything I know to say about marriage and probably more than I really know. But at the end of the day, it's about are we willing to step out on faith and trust you enough to apply your biblical principles? Are we humble enough to serve, to take the low road, to set aside our rights, to die to our own needs and our desires? And Father, I know the fear is that we do this and the person we're married to doesn't do it. In fact, even worst case, they take advantage of us. Just remind us that when we do the right thing and live life your way, you will lift us up. You will lift us up. I pray for those right now who are in very difficult marriages, but they're sticking it out. May they continue to do so. And Father, all the marriage counseling in the world will not help until we actually decide that we're willing to take the path that you took. Give us the courage to do that. Heal our marriages. And Father, for those who are single, I pray that you would just impress on them to not even consider getting married until they're willing to give up their rights, to become a servant, to take the low road, and to die to their needs. And Father, I am confident when two single adults get there, there is an incredible marriage in the making. So help them to be strong. Help them to be pure. Help them to be patient. Help them to focus more on their relationship with you and less on a relationship that might end in a marriage. And Father, I just believe with all my heart that when our total focus is on you and we are in the process of becoming the person that you created us to be, you will take care of those other things. May our trust grow in you. We love you. We thank you for what you've taught us in this series. In your name we pray. Amen.